We don't know what's going on in the Chicagoland area right now, frankly, but something seems to be happening. There have been all kinds of reports, and we're just trying to put a little bit of metrics behind those reports before we kind of go off and put together a theory or anything like that. We just don't have enough data yet. So that's kind of one of the things that keeps me fired up about the Mothman. I think what really has really interested me is I'll put it to you this way. I think we're kind of close to the same age. I was born in 1967. So this is kind of like birthing type experience stuff for me in some ways. This is where I came from. In 1966, the Point Pleasant Register in West Virginia featured the headline, Couples See Man-Sized Bird, Creature, Something. Soon the national press picked up the story and the legend of Mothman was born. Tonight, Mothman expert Bill Kusilis joins me and we talk about the Mothman legacy. That and more is coming right up on My Alien Life. My Alien Life is recorded live from atop the Northern Rocky Mountains and is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and everywhere fine podcasts are found. My website is at www.myalienlifepodcast.com. There you will find my email address, all previously recorded shows, and more. I am Cameron Brower. This is My Alien Life, and the podcast starts right now. My Alien Life Podcast. Joining me tonight is the only authority I've ever met who has studied Mothman. And uh, Mothman has been one of my most requested topics in the last three months. So tonight, my guest has some big shoes to fill. Mothman expert Bill Kusilis. Thank you so much for joining me and welcome. Cam, I appreciate the opportunity. I'm humbled to be your Mothman authority (laughs) and I really appreciate being able to be on the show tonight. Thank you. So, I don't know, let's just uh, talk about the elephant in the room first. A lot of things have happened. Montana, um, just as I walked in the door, a proclamation by our governor, Steve Bullock, and uh, a directive implementing executive orders 2-2020 and 3-2020 providing measures to stay at home and uh, designated certain essential functions. So... um, here we are in Montana. You've been locked in for uh, quarantined, or w- what are they calling it in uh, your well, hometown and state? You know, I call it purgatory, Cam. I mean, that's <laughs> what's going on in my house. Uh, we've been stuck here, and ironically, my wife and I just returned from Kauai. We had a vacation that my company sponsored, and we had a great opportunity to hang out in the beautiful island of Kauai. 
for about a week and we were shipped back a day early from that trip because the company deemed it to be really important to get us back to the mainland before airport started shutting down. So lock you back we, in. Exactly, exactly. We passed oh. through San Francisco. That was our connector. A couple days later, they closed down the city of San Francisco. We arrived in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, after our connecting flight, spent the night there and then drove back home. And I've been in my home now since last Sunday. So uh, being somebody that likes to be out and about as a career where I'm out and about, I've been locked down for about, what is that, 10, 11 days now? Been out of the house twice. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so what's, you can, you're allowed out of the house to get groceries. Um, what's, what are the rules there? We can get out of the house to do groceries. If we have what they deem to be uh, essential positions, we can go out and do our jobs. Now, my wife has an essential position. She's a government employee, so she has to report to work, doesn't have a choice. I, uh, my present career is in outside sales, so I work from home for the most part and can do 75% of my normal activities from home. For me, it's not a big deal, but I'll tell you, um, we have a 16-year-old at home that's losing her mind because she can't see her friends. Schools have been closed, businesses are closed, restaurants are closed, all but pickup and delivery. It's, it's really something we've never experienced in our lifetimes and hopefully never will again. No. And, uh, you know, one thing that, you know, I, I remind my kids and I'll just say it to everybody out there as well is the fact that, uh, you know, I, I truly, you know, no matter how bad it sounds and, and, and all the doom and gloom that uh, I hear from time to time, don't believe this is the end of anything. Um, you know, you could ask people that live in Ethiopia or Sudan or Somalia, um, you know, if, if this is the end of the world and they would, they would laugh at you because this is a, a common thing, you know, in countries in Africa that lost tens of thousands in, in a single day because of measles in 2016. So, um, yeah. And you know, thanks for making that observation cam, because I think we take so much for granted in this great country that, our freedom is something that we prize above and beyond almost everything else. But the rest of what we have here, including the freedom and the ability to earn a living and not be like, you, you, you can speak your mind in this country and not be shot for it. That, right. That's a blessing. And I think the worst thing about this is the fact that this is so contagious. I mean, it's not, you know, a lot of people are going to be just fine. Um, you know, I was, I was commenting, and this is tongue in cheek, of course, and I don't really mean this. But, you know, I was saying that I would really love to just get it over and, and get my COVID-19 badge and, and get that out of the <laughs> way, you know. And, and can you imagine the, the liberation and what that would feel like when, once you've done that and you're probably not going to ever have to do it again? I survived COVID-19. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, get ma- that I'd, immunity make, and I'd make my own T-shirt even. There's your badge of honor. I, I've got a marketing plan for that. Let's get to work on that maybe <laughs> after the show. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure people are going to market the hell out of it like right away. But um, Wow. Yeah. It's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. And, um, you know, I've had a tremendous life and I've had a lot of opportunity. I've got to see a lot of different things, but you know, this is one of the things being a big Stephen King fan and my, my whole genre of movie is post-apocalyptic and, and, uh, Mm -hmm. my God, I just, you know, those are some of my favorite and, uh, you know, never, you always think about it, you know, it's in the back of your mind and in mine anyway, what, what if, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we're not quite there yet, but, um, and, uh, basically just kind of keeping our distance from people and, and not sneezing or coughing on somebody is, 
is fairly easy and it's not like we're having the forage for food, but, um, you know, I think that's, that's the big thing in the back of people's minds that, that is instantly triggered. There's that survival instinct that they don't quite understand yet. And, uh, they buy toilet paper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> quite a symptom of, uh, of the first thing that we prize above and beyond all else, toilet paper of all things. Yeah. That was really yeah. weird. And I was, I was thinking first thing in my mind was, was ramen. You know, I thought something that could, could last and yeah, or maybe rice, whatever, but, uh, you know, I wasn't ramen, right. 19 cents a bag. Yeah. 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 Made double on us. Yeah. So, so you mentioned Stephen, go, Stephen King a couple yeah. minutes ago, if I it could jump right in here, yeah, if you don't absolutely. mind, Cam. Uh, I, you know, I'd kind of like to share with you a little bit of some of my fascination with the Mothman phenomenon and, and really, you know, growing up back in the 70s, you know, my first exposure to anything paranormal was the original television series about Project Blue Book. Do you remember that? Did yeah. you ever see yeah. any of those episodes? I did. I did. And, um, you know, and I vaguely, vaguely remember those, but I remember being just riveted, you know, watching the TV show, knowing it was coming on on Sunday night asking my mom if I could watch it, diving in and just being riveted. It's the first time I heard anything about aliens or paranormal anything. And my very first exposure was that. We actually had a radio show that uh, would, I, I think I had to be to, would leave for school at 10 after 8. And um, it was on at 7.50 on our local radio station. And, and uh, that was the first time I'd heard about people like Calvin Parker and Travis Walton. Mm-hmm. You know that really mm-hmm. stuck stuck in my mind. I've told the story a hundred times, but yeah, that's and then then followed it up with with TV. And I used to be a big um, um, fan of just just anything horror back then. And uh, yeah, but where you from now? Mothman's known from uh, Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Where you from, West Virginia? Where'd you grow up? Well, actually, I grew up in the Chicagoland area. We're about 60 miles west of greater Chicago in a small town called Sycamore, Illinois, very close to the Northern Illinois University campus. So I'm from this area, but uh, you mentioned Point Pleasant and Point Pleasant, West Virginia is, that's like the epicenter for the whole Mothman phenomenon that took place back in the 60s. I, I became introduced to that entire phenomenon the movie and i don't know if you've seen the mothman prophecies movie or not cam have not so on a lark i was sitting watching uh watching television with my then wife who is now my ex-wife and she told me this movie mothman prophecies was supposed to be pretty good and you know i thought okay let's give it a shot we'll take a look and we'll watch this and uh what what year was was this approximately This was in 2003. It was about a year after it was released in the theaters. So it was a, you know, DVD rental back in the day. You'd go to Blockbuster and get rentals and that kind of thing. And she happened to have the movie and we began watching it and, and I found it really intriguing. And I mentioned before about background with uh, project blue book, my first introduction to anything paranormal, but you know, growing up from there up until I saw that movie, was very, very into, you know, fantasy, science fiction, Dungeons and Dragons, games like that, fantasy, ethereal, you know, otherworldly, HP Lovecraft type stuff. That was my thing. My so, son my son right now is really into HP Lovecraft and I kinda introduced it to him maybe fifteen years ago, something like that, when he was, mm-hmm. when he was a youngster and, and uh 
you know, that's, that's one of the, for the time that that was written, HP Lovecraft and, and his short stories. I mean, at that time it was, it was so different. I can't even, couldn't even describe what it would have been like to read HP Lovecraft back then. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's one of the things that really piqued my intrigue with the Mothman prophecies. Now, granted, the movie itself is, it's Hollywoodized. It's not exactly, it doesn't exactly depict the events that took place in the 60s in Point Pleasant. But it gives enough of a broad overview of the eerie atmosphere and occurrences that took place back in that area of Appalachia back in the 60s. Um, the movie itself stars Richard Gere. He plays the lead role. And uh, a lady by the name of Laura Linney is the number two in the movie and the two of them team up and they investigate these strange phenomena that take place in the Point Pleasant area. They kind of fast forwarded the movie. It's not set in the sixties in terms of the movie setting. It looks like it's more nineties, no 20 odd timelines, but uh, just really, really eerie sightings of a black winged creature with, with bright glowing red eyes mesmerizing type of effect coming from the creature when it approached people um, never harmed anybody directly, but really terrified people in terms of showing up and scaring the living daylights out of them. Right. And I know that it was directed. Actually, it was, um, I don't know. He, I guess he was a film director. He produced it and that was a uh, Mark Pellington, which um, <clears throat> the only reason I know him, he, he's, one of my favorites just because he did uh, one of my favorite videos of all time. It's called a uh, single video theory. It's Pearl jam. And then he also did U two Octung baby, which is. Oh, okay. Amazing. Did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. Did he's, not know that. So he's well known. And, um, but you know, that's one of those things that are on my bucket list or to, to uh, watch that movie just because of, of the director. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd tell you, Cam, it's about a two hour long movie. It, it's a good movie. I would say it's short of being what I'd call a great movie. It's very suspenseful. One of the key things I think that pulls you into the movie is the sense of intrigue and the, the way it really kind of feeds into your subconscious. There's a lot of symbolism that's utilized in the movie, a lot of dark settings, a lot of, you know, what ifs, what is happening here, that kind of a thing, and never really draws any total conclusions throughout the movie. But on top of all that, the background music is just, out of this world. It's yeah, done by a, by a he's duo. He's a music called, guy. Yeah. yeah, Tom and Tom and Dandy did the score, and there's an artist named uh, King Black Acid that right. did a lot of the songs. And it's just it's just a really fantastic ambiance that the, the movie and the script and the and the music actually portray. And Richard and Richard Gear, which yeah, yeah, that's different. But. So Richard Gear, he's he plays what is. If I remember, he plays an investigator, or what, or he's investigating the actual incident. He, Richard, Richard Gears, uh, his character is kind of a composite. John Keel is the gentleman who was the author and did the investigating of the Mothman phenomenon back in the '60s, and, and wrote extensively, lectured on it for most of the rest of his life after that. Richard Gere's character is kind of loosely based upon John Keel, who was an investigative paranormal researcher. That's what he did. He started out in ufology and studied all different types of you know, ufological things, uh, wrote a few books. Operation Trojan Horse was one of them. That was one of his big early books. 
And then, of course, The Mothman Prophecies is the book that he wrote. But to answer your question, uh, Richard Gere's character is a, he is a reporter, and he works for the Wall Street Journal. And at the beginning of the movie, he's married to, of all people, Deborah Messing. They have a storybook relationship for about the first 15, 20 minutes of the movie. And then they get into an accident after a creature approaches their vehicle, and it spins out of control, hits the tree, and she ends up in the hospital. So he, from that point forward, she passes away shortly thereafter. And then the movie fast forwards a couple of years into the future. And he begins having really odd experiences that ultimately land him in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Wow. So Point Pleasant, West Virginia. I mean, to me, I don't know of any other events or any occurrences of anything paranormal in that area. But one of the things that strikes me about it and if you read about it, they had the sightings only lasted for a short time. Is that what you know about it? And if it only lasted a year or so, why was that? Or what, well, what about it? Why is that so unique? There were a couple of sightings that were actually before Point Pleasant within West Virginia. In fact, the very first sighting that took place was, uh, I want to say it was in um, Clendenin, West Virginia. There were some gentlemen digging a grave. And they saw a winged man right. kind of flying over, over the top of the graveyard. It freaked him out, as it would anybody else. And then after that, shortly thereafter, sightings began happening in Point Pleasant. And yes, to answer your question, it was about a 13-month window. That was the intensity of, of the actual phenomenon. That's where the book was written during that time period. It was about that time period, in other words. He actually wrote it a few years later, but... That was the concentration of the sightings. And I've gotten to be kind of friendly with a gentleman in the Point Pleasant area by the name of Jeff Wompley. Jeff actually runs the Mothman Museum. And we've visited a number of times. And he had shared with me, and, and it's kind of written down in various Mothman-type references also, there were approximately 100 sightings in this community of Point Pleasant that took place during that 13-month window. Have there been sightings after that in different places? Yes. There have been reports of it, you know, in that area of West Virginia, also in Ohio. We've had uh, alleged reports in the Chicagoland area, really all over the place. But that that microcosm, that time that time span then was the true intensity about what the book was written about and when most of the sightings took place and have been really written about thoroughly. So describe one of these sightings. Uh, do you, how much do you know about the first sighting in these grave diggers and the sighting that they the had? First, the first sighting, uh, and again, there were three grave diggers that were, they were digging a grave, doing their jobs. And there was, there was this manifestation of flying human is the way they explained it. Had kind of gone above the top of them. And like I mentioned before, it really kind of frightened them. And then after that, that was, that was basically it from that point. Now, there were other manifestations or sightings that took place after that as well, too. In, in a the pretty, pretty short timeline, um, within the next you know, month or so, there were a number of different sightings. Towards the end of 1966, there's a couple, uh, Roger and Linda Scarberry and Steve and Mary Mellett. They were in their late teens, early 20s, were out driving in what's known as the McClintic Wildlife Preserve, also known as the TNT area in Point Pleasant. Does that sound familiar at all? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. Okay. So this was kind of like a lover's lane type of a thing, Cam. They were just out and about hanging out. They were both young married couples and just cruising around looking for something to do. Roger had, I believe, a 57 Chevy. 
And as they were out and about, all of a sudden they noticed this creature and it began chasing them. And they had, they, they took off in the car and drove up route 62, had to dip back towards point pleasant. And this, this being continued to chase after them This this gray and black being with these piercing red eyes chased after them up to hundred miles per hour. And that was the first real incident in point pleasant that's been documented and, and kind of told that story has been told down through the years since then. Wow. So you say you said 13 months. Um, what about after that 13 month period? What about present time? Has anybody, I can't even imagine that somebody hadn't gone to the area and haven't had some sort of experience or, or profound um, event that, uh, that maybe people aren't writing about or talking about. And that is quite possible. <clears throat> I've, you know, had, had some folks that I've talked to in the Point Pleasant area. We've been out there, I, I want to say, four times now and just gotten to know some of the people in the community. It seems to me, and at least from what the locals have told me, there's still a really strong, strong constituency of folks that don't believe in the phenomenon whatsoever. And then you have your folks that are totally immersed in it. So the people that we talked to, we got to know a lady by the name of Carolyn Harris. Carolyn used to run the Harris's Steakhouse, which was right across the street from the Mothman Museum. She and Jeff Wamsley actually started the Mothman Festival. And Carolyn never saw the Mothman phenomenon itself, but her brother experienced UFOs. That was another aspect of the Mothman phenomenon in Point Pleasant is there were a ton of UFO reportings. In fact, as many or if not more than the Mothman itself. Wow. There was more activity that was going on in the Point Pleasant area than, than just the actual Mothman. But you know, there have been sightings here and there. There's been a, a barrage of sightings, allegedly, that have happened in the Chicagoland area recently. I'm not sure if you're familiar with, with that. No, no. Tell me about that. Okay. Okay. Yeah, um... I'm not as well versed in the Chicagoland end of things as I am in the Point Pleasant end of things. But uh, in 2017, there began to be some different Mothman sightings or winged creature type sightings that came in on various websites um, across, across the area. Uh, one of them being the MUFON database where reports had come in. And I've gotten to be pretty friendly with a number of different folks within MUFON and had some conversations with them about this. Uh, there have been a couple of documentaries recently that have spoken of the Mothman phenomenon itself. There was one on the History Channel uh, that starred, uh, well, didn't star, but they interviewed Jeff Wansley, the gentleman from the, the Mothman Museum and the festival. And he commented more on his end of things. But then there was also a presentation that was done in the Chicago end of things, too, where there have been some investigations as well. So describe, describe this thing because... Um, to me, they have a statue of the, of Mothman in Point Pleasant, which is really not that assuming and, and looks, it could be, I guess, depends on how you look at it. And, and to me, it has like butterfly wings and, and um, bird feet. But uh, then, there's, then there's other depictions of it being this, this kind of hideous figure that has uh, more like feathered wings with, with bright red eyes. Um, from the information that you've gathered, What's your thought? It, it really the sightings that I've 
you know, had talked to people about have been more of a matter of the latter and not the former. The right. statue itself, that, that's basically, that was taken almost verbatim from a Frank Rosetta rendition of the Mothman Prophecies cover of the book. So that, that's really very, very Hollywoodized. What I've, what I've come to understand from the folks that I've talked to, it was more of a, a manifestation of a black or gray moth type apparition kind of a thing with these red glowing eyes. It doesn't resemble the Mothman statue. That statue looks really cool. It's a cool but statue. what I've heard has been, yeah, more of a matter of, of an apparition type of a thing. Right. And size wise, what are we, what are we talking about? Most of the reports have mentioned that it's between six and seven feet tall with a wow. very expansive wingspan. A pretty imposing figure. So were they like butterfly wings or like articulated wings like a, like a bird or a, an eagle or something or a larger bird? Various reports, but more articulated. So there's a bunch of sightings um, in the area. And um, when we're talking, I'm talking, of course, really the only knowledge I have of it is the, or is the stories that happened in, in West Virginia. But um, do you know anything about the Silver Bridge and that, and that incident and, and how people describe that tragedy? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, the Silver Bridge itself was a construction. It was a bridge that was built in 1928 that spanned the Ohio River. And it was built according to 1928 architecture. You know, it was not built to be able to carry the heavy traffic load that became in the 50s and the 60s with bigger vehicles and, and just heavier semi-trucks and things of that nature. Now, the Silver Bridge itself, from what people had said about it, was that it kind of swayed back and forth a lot when you drove over it. You kind of got the impression that it was more of a rickety kind of construction than People would make the comment, you know, it seems like this is going to fall into the river someday because it's just not that strong of a, of a structure. And so what happened with the Silver Bridge, ironically, 13 months to the date of the very first Mothman sighting on November 15th of 66, on December 15th of 67, around 5 p.m., people were out doing all kinds of shopping. It's Christmas time. They're, it's rush hour. They're trying to get home. And granted, Point Pleasant and its sister city across the river, Gallipolis, Ohio, they're small. I mean, you've got about 4,000 people in one and about 3,000 in the other. But it's still, I mean, a very, it's the only bridge that's there. So it's, it's, it's filling big, up. It's a big bridge, too. Really big. It is. It is. It was a very wide bridge. It spanned the Ohio River. So, I mean, it's not, not a small structure. Yeah, it's about a half, Thin, though. half mile long. Exactly. Exactly. So the light on the bridge became recalcitrant. They both turned red and the bridge filled up. It was rush hour traffic. All kinds of weight was on the bridge. It was rickety construction over 40 years old. I-bar number 13, it being an I-bar constructed bridge, had a fracture in it and then the whole bridge just collapsed. Totally collapsed. 46 people drowned, lost their lives. A couple were never found. Huge tragedy. I mean, even to this day in the, the town of Point Pleasant, being as small as it is, it's, it's one of those scars that never really heals over. You ever read the uh, novella by um, Jack Matthews? It's called Beyond the Bridge. I have not. And that's yes, about the Silver Bridge? 
Yeah, and they also had a... I know there's a song about it. I think it's called... It's either the Silver Bridge or the... Something like that. And um, yeah, I just remember, I don't know, a couple years ago, um, hearing that song. And, and I didn't read the book, but I, I just know it exists. And it was... There it was is a... Huge... I'm very newsworthy back then, especially, and, and it wasn't, it was a known fact that that was associated with this um, possibly a Mothman incident. And, um, I mean, it was talked about back then. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There was allegedly, some people had made the statement that they thought that they had seen the Mothman on top of the bridge right? prior to the bridge going down. And, that's not one that's really supported a lot, you know, in the community. However, one that John Keel wrote about in the book talked about a couple of men in really odd plaid type corduroy plants, corduroy pants were seen on the bridge wearing you know, shiny dress shoes the day before the bridge went down. And that was really kind of an odd correlation to see those guys on the bridge before it went down. Right. Yeah, that had to have been just just the biggest thing in that area for for a long, long time, and people talked about it. Well, and as Jeff Wamsley says also, it really calmed things down after the bridge went down. Nobody wanted to talk about the Mothman. Nobody wanted to deal with it. And there weren't really sightings reported, at least from that point forward, for a pretty significant period of time. And you've got a few spatterings here and there. There have been a couple of documentaries on television that have spoken to... Uh, to people who have experienced what they believe is Mothman type phenomena. There was a paranormal witness uh, episode a couple of years ago about some folks that had made a commute to Point Pleasant and went into some of the igloos. And we didn't really talk about the igloos. The igloos in the TNT area were, they were like storage bins, so to speak, where munitions were stored during World War II. The reason it was called the TNT is because dynamite, you know, TNT was actually manufactured there for the war effort. And when the war was over with, at that point, those, those domes, those bunkers remained there. And I want to say I'm, there's something on the order of about a hundred of them that are there still. Right. You know, one of the, I don't know, this, this is the thing that really interests me. And I mean, a lot of people wouldn't even think this is interesting at all, but that 13 month period and then, you know, nothing really after that. Not much, anyway. I mean, there was a few few incidents. Well, to me, um, you know, things that 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 go on forever. Different sightings. You know, you have whatever Sasquatch, um, the the Loch Ness monster. You know, people have sightings and and whatever. But the the amazing thing to me is that it just it was gone all of a sudden. So, um, you know, even even things that uh, are are very very anomalous that that people see, um, you know, one time it just seems like they, it happens, you know, it repeats itself over the years, but for some reason it's like people don't even want to talk about this. And that's the interesting thing. You know, I talk with my wife about this and, and I'm, I'm kind of one of those guys that's all about the Mothman. Obviously it's just something that I'm really passionate about. I've studied an awful lot over the years. And so to me, Whenever you're really close to your work, you tend to feel like that's the center of the universe. Right. But it's funny because, I mean, obviously on, on your podcast, if you haven't had anybody talking about Mothman, then obviously it's not the center of the, paranormal, center of the paranormal community. You've got other, other things to talk about. So 
to me, you know, those 13 months, like I mentioned before, that was kind of the epicenter. Interestingly enough, even in a couple of the documentaries, there are two that are, that are, I think, really worth investigating. If you haven't seen them, maybe you have already. But the Small Town Monsters rendition that came out in 2017 called, um, it's called The Mothman of Point Pleasant is an excellent, excellent production that just speaks of those 13 months and, and really takes it from soup to nuts and talks about the entire experience. That, that's one of them that's been done really, really well. And then prior to that, about six years earlier, there's a documentary that's called The Eyes of the Mothman. And that one is, it's more done in what I would call, and I hate to say this, I, I don't want this to sound bad, but it's more of a boring examination of the fact, maybe more more scientific. It's a little bit more maybe sanitized where I think that the, the one that I just mentioned with Seth Breedlove's crew is it's got more, more pop to it. If that makes sense. They both talk an awful lot about all the things that took place during that 13 month period of time. They're both definitely worth watching. In 1999, there was a uh, sighting in Russia. Do you know anything about that one? Now, when you say Russia, 99, um, I've heard various reports of there being a Mothman sighting prior to the Chernobyl disaster. Right. Yeah, yeah, I heard that one too, yeah. So this is different, though. Can you tell me a little bit about the Russian sighting? Well, it was was just, there was a Russian uh, apartment bombing in 1999, of course, that uh, um, killed like 300 people and injured more than 1,000 um, and of course it was really scary in Russia at the time because, um, there was this tragedy and, and there wasn't a lot of news about it, but, um, there was some people that, you know, reported this winged creature over this building. And, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. so, <clears throat> you know, there's that. And, um, the, it was similar. And the only thing I think that's worth mentioning other than that is the fact that, you know, this isn't a, a Mothman country, you know. I mean, they've had UFO sightings and other sightings of, of odd things. But um, to me, Russia is really not a, a Mothman site. It's just odd that, you know, the, these folks would have come up with this same thing. And it was multiple people, but, um, you know, they all had the same. They hadn't talked to each other or been around each other, but they all kind of reported the same thing. So, um see this mm-hmm. winged winged creature there so um, mm-hmm. again and not not a lot of information about it but um you know and and after that the that was kind of one in a series of bombings that occurred you know fairly um a few different bombings that that were fairly close together mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i wasn't familiar with that with the russian sighting but i, I have heard various things, various reports of manifestation of a Mothman type creature in Chernobyl. Now I've heard some people say that it's just something that was manufactured for the movie itself because it's spoken to in the movie by one of the characters who is interacting with Richard Gere's character. So I've heard that that's just something that was made up, but then I've also seen various reports of something that did take place in Chernobyl also where, where there were some people who had cited this particular creature, you know, at the same time, right before they had their nuclear disaster. So I've, I've heard various reports of that. Interestingly enough, one thing we haven't gone into yet that I would say that I think has really been beneficial in my understanding of 
the whole Mothman thing has been an author by the name of Andrew Colvin. Are you familiar with Andy Colvin? Not at all. So Andy Colvin actually built a relationship with John Keel in John Keel's later years. And being the ufologist that John was, he was really on the cutting edge of, of anything involving UFOs, Fortiana, certainly the Mothman. That's what he really gained his notoriety for. But Andy befriended him towards the end of uh, John's life, actually. And I believe they met at the first or perhaps the second Mothman Festival in Point Pleasant. Andy actually obtained the rights to um, John Keel's old articles that he had written for all different types of flying saucer magazines back in the 60s and the 70s and, and forward from there. And he compiled all of John's works into a number of volumes of, of, his, of his articles. And they're just fantastic. There's so much great information that's in there. But Andy actually is from West Virginia. He's from the Charleston area. And he had a Mothman experience when he was a child. And he goes in depth and talks an awful lot about different premonitions that he had. One of the things we haven't discussed yet, Cam, is that with this Mothman phenomenon, people in the community began to have prophetic dreams that took place. There were people that had visions of the Silver Bridge collapsing all kinds of odd telephone calls back in the day before the robocalls started telemarketing to us. Crazy stuff was going on. And Andy actually had a vision of the Twin Towers going down. He had this vision in the 1960s around the time of the Mothman. And so that was something that he had experienced. And he's written voluminously about the Mothman phenomenon more than Keel even did himself. So what's he What's his writing like? Um, is, it, uh, is it fiction or accounts or interviews or how does that work? It, it's all nonfiction. A lot of what he has done is he put together a number of different books that speak to uh, his experiences with Mothman and other paranormal type things. He interviews people who've experienced Mothman and other paranormal type things. He's, he's really interesting in the way that he writes. Um, he ties together a lot of what I would call disparate type threads of experiences and comes up with some really interesting hypotheses about the paranormal in general. He's just, he's definitely a genius in my opinion, the way that he puts things together. It's nonfiction, but he comes up with some really interesting conjectures and some really fun conspiracy theory uh, perspective. So there's not a lot of information, you know, I was trying to do, um, you know, I've, I've read about it and, and pick up, pick it up a little bit from time to time just to, just because somebody else has reminded me or I've read about it somewhere else. But so what was, what was, what is it about Mothman that really interests you? Why? And, and, um, what keeps you, what keeps you interested? Cause there's not a lot of mm -hmm. new, new stuff to even follow up on. Well, we haven't talked a lot about a lot of new stuff. There have been some, like I mentioned, some sightings in the Chicago land yeah. area. And actually I've, I've kind of worked with a couple of different folks to try to come up with, a bit of a research team and I kind of have to keep them covert right now. <laughs> a couple of them are semi notorious, but basically uh, not notorious in a bad way, but in the paranormal com community can get a little bit uh, competitive for lack of a, a, That's a, good word, a better yeah. way of putting it. I guess I let's keep it friendly that way, competitive. And we've come up with some different investigative things that, you know, we don't know that we don't know what's going on in the Chicagoland area right now frankly, but something seems to be happening. There have been all kinds of reports 
And we're just trying to put a little bit of metrics behind those reports before we kind of go off and put together a, a theory or anything like that. We just don't have enough data yet. So that, that's kind of one of the things that keeps me fired up about the Mothman. I think what really has really interested me is, I'll put it to you this way, I think we're kind of close to the same age. I was born in 1967. So this is kind of like birthing type experience stuff for me in right. some ways. This is where I came from. This is, you know, my life began in August of 1967. And the bridge went down in December of 1967. I've been fascinated by the book, The Mothman Prophecies. I think if you take the time to take a look at it and dig into it, it's not just the actual being itself. In fact, to me, the Mothman creature or the sightings is kind of the least interesting aspect of the whole thing. What really gets me are there are all types of synchronicities that I've seen behind the phenomenon of the Mothman date, times, numbers. Um, September the 6th is a date that John Keel talks about an awful lot in both the Mothman prophecies and in other of his writings. He actually interviewed a number of different alleged alien abductees, and a lot of these folks had the birthday of September the 6th. Just really bizarre stuff. My stepson's birthday is September the 6th. My wife and I met on September the 6th. And uh, one of the characters, and I shouldn't call her a character, one of the one of the people that Keel writes about, both in the Mothman Prophecies and then in one of these um, Keel article compilations Andy Colvin has done, which is called The Big Blackout, they talk about uh, an investigative uh, lady who held similar programs to how you do with, with my alien life. And she did it on WBAB in Babylon, New York back in the sixties. This lady's name was JP Perro and she and John Keel built a relationship and all kinds of crazy things came out of that relationship. Just really weird stuff manifested. She, she interviewed folks that were alleged aliens. Um, they would get on the phone. She would speak to John Keel, but it would be one of the aliens that was actually talking through her to Keel. Just crazy stuff. So, I mean, there's just a ton of, ton of other, other things that have happened with the Mothman phenomenon that aren't just this black thing with red eyes that scares people. Have you been to the museum? Uh, multiple times, yes. Really? Yeah, I was What's there just like? back in November. Yeah. It's, it's really cool, Cam. It's just a, it's a neat experience. You walk in you walk in the door, and Jeff has got T-shirts, he's got shot glasses, he's got memorabilia in the front that you can buy, and this is like the gift shop type area, but you go back into the back of the museum, what I find the most interesting are the newspaper clippings that he has from the, from the newspaper that, that was written back, back then, the Athens Messenger, the Athens, Ohio Messenger. Uh, a lady by the name of Mary Heyer was the... She was the chief investigator. She and John Keel kind of paired up and did a lot of investigating of the different sightings. But uh, they have they have all kinds of newspaper articles that are in there, and some of the movie memorabilia is in there. One of the telephones that Richard Gere it talks to one of these entities on in the movie, that phone is in there. It's just a really cool place. What got me uh, thinking about that was, I knew there had to been a museum, and I looked that up, but... Uh... There's also the uh, Greenbrier Valley Brewing Company. Familiar with that? They have a Mothman IPA. You know, that's uh, probably the same one that brews the Mothman root beer. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And 
um, I think it is. Yeah, because I've got a couple of those empty bottles in the root beer here at the house. Right, right. They have some. They have some. Uh, they have Mothman shirts, and and uh, which is pretty cool. I like. I mean, it's a it's a good logo and good su- subject matter for a logo. And they're located in uh, Maxwellton. That's in West Virginia as well. So um, sure. So who else do you know? And I don't know of anybody that. I mean, you you mentioned a couple names. So who else is an authority on Mothman? that you could name that, uh, that you like to, to read or, or see what they've put out? Well, the books that I've read, you know, about the Mothman, of course, John Steele, we've talked extensively about him. Right. Uh, and Andy Colvin and the compilations that he's done, Andy's just written tons and tons of things from a book called The Mothman Speaks, another one called The Mothman Shrieks. He's got one called The Mothman Squeaks. It's, it's just, it's interesting, interesting stuff. He's one, there's another gentleman who was actually a contemporary of John Keels by the name of Brent Rains. Are you familiar with Brent? I'm not. Brent's another author who uh, actually, he, he's written a kind of a biography of John Keel. It's called The Man, The Myths, and The Ongoing Mysteries. And he goes into his relationship with Keel and some of the correspondence that the two of them had and uh, some of his other folks. I think Rosemary Ellen Guiley wrote the intro to, to his book. Um, really, really good stuff there. Um, Gray Barker was a contemporary of Keel. Are you familiar with Gray Barker? I've heard that name and I don't know anything about him. So Gray Barker was kind of, uh, he was a bit of a hoaxer. He and a guy by the name of Jim Mosley yeah. did some, some things back, you know, back in the day to kind of get attention. Right. But, uh, he also actually, Gray Barker came out with the first book that was published about the Mothman, uh, scenario. And it was called The Silver Bridge. It came out five years before the Mothman prophecies did. And it's a little fictionalized, uh, fairy tale-ish type of a, of a depiction of the whole Point Pleasant experience. But it's, it's definitely worth the read. It's a short read. It's a good read. It's very entertaining. Again, that whole um, Silver Bridge really intrigues me. I mean, that was... I just can't even imagine back then... Um, <clears throat> that that there would be such a, a huge tragedy like that. And the fact that all these cars, you know, even even back then in that that part of our country, there probably wasn't a lot of traffic and there were so many people packed on that bridge at that time that it fell into that river. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You think about, you know, forty six people dying in a community of about seven thousand right. people. That uh, that's a huge loss. I mean just a huge loss. So do they have a memorial or anything at the, at the site of that bridge or is there a new bridge there now? They sure do. There's, there's a plaque and then like a podium type. I want to say it's like a brick construction that's got like a plaque on that also. And that, that commemorates, you know, the, the disaster itself. And then one of the really nice things that they have in that area is a number of bricks and they have the names of the victims who passed away on that particular bridge. That kind of brings me to another thing I wanted to share with you, sure. Cam, and that is uh, I mentioned the name Carolyn Harris. Yep. And Carolyn was uh, a sweet little uh, little old lady, for lack of a better way of putting it, who ran the Harris Steakhouse or Mothman Diner, Mothman Cafe, right across the street from the Mothman Museum. And uh, it's funny, my wife and I pulled into town the, the day that we wanted to, you know, stop in Point Pleasant. We we're going to spend a few days there. And we, we showed up on a, I think it was a Friday after the 4th of July in 2016. And we pulled up to the, 
to the museum, but it was after five o'clock and they were closed. And we just kind of walked around, took a look at the statue and took a look at the post office, of course. <laughs> and then from that point, we kind of looked around and my, my wife noticed that this little lady was taking a look at us and watching us kind of outside of the, outside of her diner. And we didn't know it was her diner at that point in time, but Jackie said to me, she said, you know, if this little lady keeps looking out here. Why don't we go in there and talk to her? And I thought, you know, we're 500 miles from home and we're not going to be able to do anything else. We don't know anybody in this town. Let's, let's just go in and talk to her. And sure enough, she was Carolyn Harris, uh, the owner wow. of the Mothman Diner. And we got to sit down with her. And Carolyn's um, unfortunate claim to fame is that her ex-husband and small son were two of the victims of the Silver Bridge disaster. So she shared that information with us and, you know, I uh, certainly offered my condolences and, and she said, I, and I don't discuss that. And you knew right then and there that that was not a topic that was up for conversation. So we kind of skirted around that, that subject, obviously being a very sensitive one, but we just got to know her. There was a gentleman who was also in the cafe that day, a guy by the name of Mark Griffith. He's one of the locals. Uh, Mark's become a good friend of ours since then. We've seen him every time we've been back in town. But, um, and he's one that's more of a, not necessarily a debunker, but, you know, I don't know about this Mothman thing. You know, <laughs> he's kind of got that Southern twang to him and it's just not really necessarily his thing. But Carolyn was just such a, such a kind person. Every day we were in town for the next three or four days, we'd stop in there and have a hamburger or a Coke and, just visit with her. And she talked to us about, you know, the, the beautiful lights that they would see in the sky during those 13 months. There was, like I mentioned before, just a ton of ufological activity that was happening then as well. And do they think that's related? Are they attributing, attributing that to Mothman as well? You know, it, I, I think there are various theories. I, I can tell you, I, I do think that those phenomena were related, were related personally. I do. I think there's some type of a correlation. I don't know exactly what it is, but the the sightings, the ufological type sightings and the Mothman sightings, they, they all dissipate at the same time. What's the most recent sighting that you know of or one that's related? I would say within the last year, there has been uh, another sighting or possibly two within the last couple of years that have happened in the Point Pleasant area. Any specific or, or details that... Uh, that you find worth mentioning? Probably just to the fact that they're very similar to the ones that were mentioned back in the sixties, the same type of a, same type of an apparition. What I, what I do find with any of the local sightings, not just local, local to Point Pleasant, but any of the recent sightings is I haven't heard of the other phenomena, the way that I heard of everything happening in Point Pleasant as it did in 66, 67 such as the eerie phone calls, the, the UFO sightings, things of that type of nature. I haven't heard anything other than creature sightings since then. So what do you plan to do with all the information that you're gathering and have collected and compiled over the years? So I've got a couple different ways I'm looking to go with this. I think I mentioned to you, and we haven't talked about this tonight, I'm actually wrapping up a PhD in psychology right now. I'm kind of nice. at the 11th hour in the dissertation. And the dissertation itself is about post-traumatic growth. So my wife will be retiring from her federal position here coming up at the end of the year. And we've already begun to make some inroads kind of with the paranormal community. One of the things that we want to do is we want to work with individuals who have been abductees, um, folks that have seen Mothman, 
folks that have experienced things that are beyond explanation. And we want to talk to them about how that's affected their lives. But then specifically, post-traumatic growth, you know, how have you grown from this experience? So one of the things I really, you know, would like to be able to investigate and to write about are people's experiences with these types of phenomenon and then, you know, how they've grown as a result of having lived through these types of experiences. So that's kind of how I'd like to use my, my experience of studying the Mothman phenomena, coupled it with my psychological leanings and my my current profession as well, too, just to get out and to, to kind of help people and to write about these types of phenomena and just to learn along with other folks who have been to these types of things. So what do you have at home? Is there a specific room you dedicate to Mothman? And, and uh, if so, <laughs> how much stuff, how much stuff you accumulated? Oh gosh. You know, I'm and actually, as we talk, I'm sitting in my office, which doubles as my professional uh, suite plus my, my doctoral studies suite plus my studying everything else that I study, including Mothman. It's all in here. So I, I don't know. I probably have <clears throat> on the order of maybe 20 books of Mothman. I have uh, a total of probably 80, 80 audio books downloaded on my iPhone. I would say at least a good 15 of those are devoted to Mothman. I have a picture of the Silver Memorial Bridge in a plaque in my office next to my, my, uh, my master's degree, <laughs> you know? So I, for me, it's, it's just, uh, you could call it an obsession to me. It's a fascination. It's just something that I've come to really embrace. It's the unknown. And I, I want to learn more about the unknown. I, I, I want to believe, <laughs> you know, I want to ask you one more question about the area because I'm just kind of wondering, you know, this, a bridge like that and the silver bridge, obviously I'm fascinated by that part of it is, is uh, obviously got, people from one place to the other, what's, what's, where were they going if they crossed that bridge and uh, what did it mean to that area when that bridge was gone? You know, the sad thing, Cam, is that most people were probably going home. It was December 15th. It was a really, really cold evening and it was 10 days before Christmas. So you've got folks that are getting off work. You know, either they worked in Point Pleasant or shopped in Point Pleasant. Excuse me. They were driving across the bridge to get back to Ohio to Gallipolis or one of the small towns uh, around Gallipolis or vice versa. You know, they were leaving their work environment and heading across the street and trying to get home to their families. You know, that, that's what was going on. It was a Friday night. Um, it was just a really, really horrible thing to happen to, to any community, and especially one that small. The neat thing about West Virginia folks, and I live in Northern Illinois. Um, it's a different demographic in West Virginia we immediately, we fell in love with the people there. They were just so kind and outgoing and polite and good natured. And they wanted nothing more than to sit down and to talk with you and to get to know you. And and I don't know what it's like in Montana. I'm assuming it's maybe a little closer to what Point Pleasant's like. But here, you know, in the suburban Chicago area, if you look at your neighbor wrong, they think you're out to get them. <laughs> it's right. just a different, it's a different world. So to answer your question, it, it devastated that community when that happened. It was just a horrible, horrible thing. I think here we have such an influx in uh, out-of-staters, and it's one of the reasons is is because you come to Montana. And you talk to somebody, and you literally <laughs> can't get away. You know, it's, it's one, of those, mm-hmm. one of those places that people talk and talk. So, um, that, And that's what I like about the South and the Deep South and, um, you know, even the Midwest and in this country. It's just 
you know, the, the rural um, people in this country are amazing and, and just super welcoming. And um, if anybody has anything bad to say about America and they've had a hard time in the city or whatever, because that's where people are, are vacationing and, and where they visit the most, um, get off the beaten path and, and visit a place like uh, uh, West Virginia. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, I never would have thought that I would have visited West Virginia, you know, before the whole, before I was exposed to the whole Mothman phenomenon. And then it kind of became a bit of a, of a dream to get out there. And in 2016, my wife said to me, let's take a vacation. Where do you want to go? I said, let's go to Point Pleasant. And we've been there every year since. You know, we just, like I said, we became friends with folks in the community. My, my friend Mark, I mentioned him earlier. We met him the night that we arrived in Point Pleasant. And Mark actually has been the first interviewee for the book that I intend to work on. Uh, in addition to post-traumatic growth from paranormal experiences, uh, Mark actually had a very traumatic experience in his, in his family. He lost a couple of children due to SIDS wow. back many, many years ago. And so we talked through that process and what that was like from him. And, and uh, painful stuff, but, but healing comes. By discussing painful things, and and I, we're we're great friends today. We're just really really good friends, and you know, that never would have happened without the Mothman phenomenon. I, I like to tell people that the Mothman phenomenon brought me to Point Pleasant, and the people brought me back. They're just that good a quality of folks. We just love them. So, in your local community, are you known as an expert, or you know, regionally or or, or nationally? Do people seek you out for your information? I would say in our groups our groups I am, and I've been able to cast a little wider net through MUFON and some of the connections that I've made there. I've been able to take part in a couple of different presentations to that effect, and, and I would say that it's growing. I wouldn't say I'm certainly nationally or regionally renowned yet, but I think that there's a possibility that, that could develop, and if it does, I'll certainly embrace it. Do you welcome questions and, and uh, people find you on Facebook? Um, do you get into conversations? Absolutely. 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 I, I love to have those types of conversations. So where else can people, are, are you specifically or on Facebook or can they find you anywhere else? I am currently on Facebook and then professionally I'm on LinkedIn, although I don't, I haven't referred to Mothman yet on LinkedIn. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I, my, my current career is in technology sales. I've been doing that for a little over 20 years. Um, so it doesn't speak to it much on there. Presently, it's just Facebook. And the reason for that is for the last it's been literally 10 years. I've been a student one course per quarter. So my, most of my extra spare time has been devoted to, to the studies that I have in the psychological way. So I haven't gone out and put a, a blog together yet or anything of that nature, but I am literally in the 11th hour, like I mentioned with dissertation, I'll be graduating either in June or in September with, with a doctorate in psychology. And at that point forward, I'll be getting out there in the communities, more of the electronic community and you know, doing something along the lines of creating a blog and welcoming more questions about the phenomenon and getting to know people and, and taking interviews and, and working towards putting projects together to, to help people understand more about the paranormal and the things they've experienced. Where do you want to take the degree? That, that's basically what I would like to do with it is I'd like to be able to write and to publish about post-traumatic growth. Is, it, it's become a real, a real passion of mine because I, I, my, my paper itself, is about the post-traumatic growth that an individual can gain from going through the divorce process. And that's kind of the nuts and bolts of it. You know, I was an adult who went through the divorce process and it was pretty prolonged and very expensive, not just in terms of finances, but in terms of emotion and other things as well too. And I think that so many people in our society 
not just in the United States, but other folks that I've, I've talked to who have been through divorces, whether it's the man who, who has been left by his wife or vice versa or whatever the circumstances might be. And so many people tend to take that experience and make it the, the defining moment in their life. And I just, it doesn't have to be that way. You know, for me, I was able to, to grow individually from going through the process and gained all different types of insights that I like to be able to share with other people. And the paranormal aspects of post-traumatic growth, just kind of a natural melding of interest that I have in terms of trying to help people to learn to grow through experiences and then also to investigate things that we're never going to know a whole lot about. But this is interesting. You've been through it. Let's see what we can come to together. Absolutely. And as we grow through these recent developments, we're hoping that uh, we'll all come out closer, possibly on the other side. I can't imagine we, we wouldn't and possibly appreciate each other more, especially in this uh, period. It seems like um, <clears throat> this electronic period where we seem to be growing apart a little bit. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, reconnecting with with humanity again i think i'm i'm if there's one hope for me that's going to be it and i would agree with you and and i i love electronic communication but i think it's kind of pervasive and sometimes it gets in the way of real communication excellent bill thank you so much for joining me today i appreciate your time cam thanks for having me on the show You can find my website at www.myalienlifepodcast.com and please subscribe to my latest downloads at iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and at podbean.com. And please follow me and like me on Facebook and Twitter. My Alien Life is written and produced for broadcast at Studio 254 in the Northern Rocky Mountains. The music you are hearing is produced and created by Elion. You can find all Elion's work online at Heart Dance Records. Oh,